<laughs> my army is unstoppable. No one can stand against my 100 zombies. Oh, yeah? I've got 100 monks and zombies can't stay undead against them. Oh, yeah? I've got a hundred harpies and monks go straight to the afterlife against them! Oh yeah, I've got a hundred har- archers and harpies. Wait, my archers and harpies killed each other. Uh, I've got nothing. I, I just, I gotta say, I'm proud of you all. This revolution has been a huge success. Yay us! Pat, pat on the back. Pat on the back. Come on. No? Me too, because I've been a, a big part of it. Can't have a revolution without somebody to overthrow. So, uh, you're welcome. And, uh, it's a tie. Hey, Paisanos, it's the Backcheck Brothers Super Show! We're the Backcheck Brothers, and old school are games. We're not like the others. You get all the faith. If your back love's in trouble, you can call us in the double. We're more retro than the others. You'll be hooked on the brothers. Hooked on the brothers. Your import treats so hang on to your seat. Get ready for adventure from our peaches of sweet cup consoles, computers, handhelds, and the others. Listen to our show, you'll be hooked on the brothers. Yeah, yeah. To the RPG Backtrack, where we talk about computer and console role-playing games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. Yes, this is the one, the only RPG Backtrack number one ninety-two. Harpins, harpins, har- herpes, herpes, dragon. I, I can't. I are you can't. trying to tell us something, Phil? I can't do this. I just can't. I told Mike we're getting older up to episode 192. I can't even read anymore. Hypees, Dragons, and Calvary. Oh my. Uh, we are talking about Dragon Force Games tonight with our two friends, Mike and Mike. Well, M- Mr. Apps, he who has a very, uh, a very good name. How's it going? It's going good. I'm excited to talk about that awesome uh, band that has that song and guitar here. That's what we're talking about, right? Uh, sure. You can talk about that for maybe two, three minutes, <laughs> and I will not be able to communicate a thing because all I know about Guitar Hero came from that South Park episode on it. <laughs> I feel like that's all you really need to know about Guitar Hero. Yeah. Yeah. The, the one where Stan's dad just got addicted and he had to get onto Heroin Hero in order to get himself off Guitar Hero. Mm-hmm. You know, the game where you chase the dragon but can never catch it. Nice. Uh, well, 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 we've got a lot of things to catch with all these Dragon Force games. Okay, there might be one or two that we need to talk about. Um, then we have we have a sidetrack, and we have a final lap, and we got some comments. And speaking of comments, I have a comment about the skit that we just did. I feel like I feel like I was a little confused. Were we talking about Heroes of Might and Magic? 
Because that sounds like a perfect skit for Heroes of Might and Magic. Uh, it was not intentionally so, but if it is conveniently so, I have no regrets. Have you played Heroes of Might and Magic? No. Ah, in that game, you are constantly recruiting armies of harpies and archers, I think everything that was in there. And when you go into a fight, it's on a hexagon co- uh, combat grid. Um, but you'll just you'll just show a picture of your archer with a number next to it. That's supposed to mean like you have a hundred archers. Is that what Dragon Force is like? We're gonna find out. We are. We are. We, we're, we're still in the introduction, Phil. We don't usually get into the meat of the product until we. I'm very excited. This, this is all to say how excited I am because the the skit is leading me to believe that Dragon Force is Heroes of Might and Magic on the Saturn. Sure. I'm excited. Uh, I am not going to disabuse you of that if it is what you want to believe, Phil. Alrighty, so we're going to take a little break. We'll come back and do our main event where we'll dive into the subject. Hold on tight. the main event where we dive into a game or a short series of games and we slice it up rip out its entrails you think this was monster hunter but no it is the main event uh today we are talking about dragon force a real-time strategy and tactical rpg uh developed by a sega published by the same uh, this was released on the sega saturn in Wait, north it was published by working designs no 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 it says right here on Wikipedia, and we've had this discussion before, wait, wait, Mike. Wait. Are you looking at the Japanese publisher or the U.S. publisher? It says developed by J Force and Sega. I presume that J Force was Japanese and Sega was American. Who's the publisher for the United States? Sega. Who does Wikipedia? Well, I'm sorry, Phil. Mr. Apps, are you going to support me here? Yes, of course. Okay. Now, the box that I'm looking at says working designs on the front. But we know that if Wikipedia says it's Sega, that 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 the box is wrong. The original box art must be wrong. There must have been a printing error. I'm surprised they didn't recall all those games. You know what? You're right. Working Designs was known for recalling its products after their inter- incredibly long gestation period so that it could get them right and further delay fan gratification. Well, speaking of delaying gratification, let me have my delayed gratification in finishing and saying that this was released in North America on November 30th, 1996. Later on in Japan on the PlayStation 2 on August 18, 2005, this is a role-playing, real-time strategy, real-time tactics, single-player adventure developed by Sega. <laughs> Published by Working Designs. Published by Working Designs. Now, Wikipedia... Has a, has a contradiction between its image and its text, I would say. 
I'm I'm again, I'm sure what happened was when somebody uploaded the image, they doctored up the Working Designs logo on the front. <laughs> it's easy to do with Photoshop. Yeah, that that's happened all of the time. Remember when Ark the Lad Twilight of the Spirits was released by Working Designs? I'm sure there's a Photoshop image of it. Right. Or remember when Xenogears was released by Working Designs? I'm sure there's a Photoshop of that, too. Hmm. And, of course, we can never forget all of the Pokemon games that have been released by Working Designs. Again, I'm sure there are Photoshops of it. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, just Google it up. You can find it. Up. You can definitely find it. But you know what you can't Photoshop? The story of Dragon Force. Who wants to talk about the story behind Dragon Force? You, you want to, Mr. Abshishalai? I barely remember it, so go for it. <laughs> all right, all right. So you take on the role of one of eight monarchs on the continent of Legendra. You are informed that 300 years prior, the gods Harzgalt and Madrik fought each other. Harzgalt was the god of creation. Madrik was the god of destruction. They battled each other to a standstill. Harzgalt, rather than pick up the battle in another few centuries, just decided to imbue his essence into some amazingly powerful artifacts that would be found by people later on. Madrik has just been sitting there for three centuries and, of course, is now starting to awaken. And what will the god of destruction do when awakened? Well, he's probably not going to bake everybody a cake. It's, that would be an act of creation and not an act of destruction. Now, when you play Dragon Force for the first time, you will be limited to six of those. You must beat it once in order to unlock the last two. You play as one of the eight rulers of the eight major nations on the continent of Legendra. You could be Wayne, Wine, W-E-I-N. It, it can be pronounced several ways. Who is, eh, he's, he's an infantry guy. He's, he's all right. He will eventually fall in love with Terrace, the elf queen, who is, um, she's good at spells, but she, she's got a glass jaw. And you could be Gongos, who is the beast man and is very good at physical stuff, doesn't have much magic. His soldiers tend to be beasts. You could be Mikal, the samurai. You could be Leon, the monk. You could be Junon, who puts on a fearsome, intimidating mask so that nobody knows she's a woman, because, well, it's, it's just easier to respect a man when the when trying to conquer the rest of the world, apparently. That, I'm not coming up with this mythology on my own. This is just how the game seems to lay it out. Those are the six initial rulers, and once you beat the game, you are able to choose Goldark, who is just this force of who refuses to join you and is trying to the initiator of the entire conflict by trying to conquer the continent. Or you can play Reinhardt, who has his own nation, and he's actually kind of hard to play if you choose him, because soon enough, Wine, Wayne, whatever you want to pronounce his name as, will deliver all of the other monarchs except Goldark to you. Which means that if you haven't been paying attention, then you're going to have a whole bunch of really weak people, and suddenly Goldark finishing the game would be difficult with that. And I have just given you a very brief spectrum of the, of the, each of the potential commanders, because the story, while of course it does involve you conquering the continent, and eventually learning that, oh my goodness, all eight of these characters are the Dragon Force, and once they come together, they must fight Madrick and beat him, or else destruction will visit the land again. The details are different enough with each of them that you will see different things no matter when you play as a new character. Each of them starts completely differently, and you usually have to go through some interesting setup with a few unique characters who have some grievance with your kingdom, and you have to beat the crap out of them before you can get out into the larger world. And there are a few interesting NPCs along the way. Every commander has 
usually four, sometimes for one person it's three, special commanders. The, these are commanders who play a, something of a function in the plot. They have unique battle quotes, and they will just stick with you no matter what, which is rare because some of the commanders, if they lose in battle, can be captured and turned against you. And I can't really go into all of the details of how the plot changes each one of them, but eventually, once you have united all of your factions, once the continent is conquered, oh my goodness, the three the three evil soldiers of Madrick are alive. They are coming after you, and they are helping to revive him. And you must go and stop him before the continent is destroyed. Can you do it? Well, if you can't, then you get a game over, so you better do it. Yes, we can! For a few of our interesting NPCs who could join anybody, there's where you come across. Do you remember this character, Mr. Apps, the vampire who joins you? Uh, I do vaguely? No. Somewhat? <laughs> that would be you, a no. There's a vampire who can join you, assuming you are you allow him to fight against his girlfriend who has been taken over by the forces of evil. And if you do that, then he will stay with you, and he's a really good soldier. And if you don't do that, then he will call you a liar and leave, and that's not so good because, again, he's a pretty good soldier. You probably want to keep him on your team. And there's the weird fellow. Uh, again, I'm not remembering his name right now, but he occupies his own castle. He never comes out to fight you, but if you go and fight him, you start to learn uh, the disturbing secret that he actually is possessed by a bloodthirsty sword that gave him enorm enormous power and it's causing him to go slightly crazy and it also means that you can never actually beat him because he'll keep coming back fully revived by his amazing sword of evil power or well there are the two soldiers who will serve goldark for most of the game until they realize that he has his own agenda instead of simply to conquer the world for uh, madrick to destroy it that would be Gaul and Sif. Gaul looks like an old hunched-over man, and he, well, he's rather bloodthirsty. Sif looks like, according to the sprite, she's a, intended to be a fairly sexy, I think, woman who likes to, well, throw golems at you. And, well, you can't beat either of them if you're playing as another commander. You can, Let me rephrase that. You can beat them, but you cannot capture them. They will just run away and show up back in Goldark's ranks again and come back for you. Chime in any time, Mr. Aft. I'm trying to keep going, but... Uh... Uh, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I never cared much for the story. I'm just trying to get it out of the way, because... Yeah, I agreed. Yeah. There are some interesting lines in it, courtesy of working designs. Sure. I seem, I seem to remember one of the battle threats being, And I have prepared the ultimate torture. Tickets <laughs> to a Michael Boltonavius concert! <laughs> But, yeah, the the overall plot, it's serviceable, and yet I, I didn't sink all of those hours into playing the game with each character because I just couldn't get enough of the fascinating character interactions. <laughs> but, yeah, we, we mentioned all of the main monarchs. I don't feel like going into all of their chief subordinates because a lot of them are some are pretty one-note. So, okay. Shall, yeah. Might be time to talk about how we play this thing. Uh, I think that would be best. Well, all right. You enter battle. You've got a command. You've got your commander on one side of the screen. You've got the enemy commander on the other side of the screen. Your goal is to take down the other enemy commander, but it's not that simple because both of you have troops, and you have you have ten different varieties of troops. 
Mr. Apps, what are these types of troops and what are they good at? Well, let's see. We've got the archers, who I believe are good at killing flying things, as you might expect. They uh, are, and yet mages are also good at killing flying things and fire faster. Yes. So um, archers are pretty much the worthless groups. <laughs> if you have mages, they are completely worthless. Yeah. Well, mages are always the best, so. That's... In many situations. Well, we'll get to mages and how they're awesome and but yes. there are eight other types of troops. There's the monks, who have a wonderful kicking animation whenever they attack. And monks, since they're holy, apparently are really, really good against zombies. Just oh, put yes. them against zombies and watch the zombies. You will probably see 50 zombies die before a monk. <laughs> oh, let's see what else. Um... But against most other types of troops, zombies are very good. Yes. And zombies have their own neat attack, where it looks like their ribs pop out, and they just kind of spear you with them. Okay, so we've got... Oh, the beasts. I love the beasts. The beasts that attack by looking, doing a handspring and kicking with both of their legs in the air. <laughs> I mean, most of the animations in this game are just fun. Like, and there's, there's, re there's really like a lot of sprites doing stuff at once in this game, so... Um, I think this is one of those rare cases where this game probably actually would not have been able to run on the PS1, because this is kind of the Saturn's one and only strength was 2D. lots of good t 2D. Well, we've seen the Saturn do pretty good with 3D when people know what to do with it are given a chance, but that wasn't very often. Sure. Okay, so we've got beasts, we mentioned zombies. How about cavalry? Ah, uh, yes, the horsemen. I'm trying to remember who they were good against. Were they like just good against regular soldiers? That's against so mages and archers. Yeah. Uh, they were also samurai, right? Well, samurai have a very special purpose. In most in most situations, they're about as good as soldiers, which are good against. Two we haven't talked about harpies. Ah, uh, the harpies. Game. They're they're pretty cool. The harpies are pretty cool. I mean, really, all the classes are, or all the types of units are pretty cool. But why are the harpies cool? And yes, dragons are flying, but the normal weaknesses do not apply. Hey, can you guys hear me? I yeah. can. Hmm. Might be having some issues, because we're getting some silences, and I can't tell if they're on purpose. Uh-oh. But I asked, why are harpies cool? Did somebody answer that? I didn't hear it come through. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Discord is evil, guys. We switched to Discord for this podcast because Skype was giving me problems. Now Discord is just randomly blacking people out because it can. Oh, God. <laughs> all right. I hope so I what, have to go through all that again. So why, while I'm watching it, why, why, I mean, it was okay up until like a minute ago. So let's try this again. Why are harpies cool? A, they're flying. B, their attack looks pretty cool. They kind of... They hover in midair and just kick with their claws at you. And they're good against most types of troops, except archers and mages, which are good against flying things. And then we come to dragons. Dragons are also flying, but because dragons are special, even though they're flying, and there's a spell which will mire everything that is standing on the ground for a while so that it's just sitting there doing nothing, dragons are, and harpies are not affected by that spell. But mages, archers... They have no advantage against dragons. There is one troop type that can do a great job against dragons, and that's the samurai. You take samurai against uh, dragons, yes. 
the dragons will lose. And the dragons also look cool. They kind of stop and do a double punch at whatever they're attacking. And usually a double punch just kills it because it's a dragon. What do you expect? Dragons have to be awesome to rule. And if you are wise, you will try to hoard those dragon crests and give them to your monarchs so that you can spiff them up with 100 dragons each for the final battles of the game. Then you should be able to pull out a win. Mm. And so you've got these 10 troop types. You have one troop type. Your enemy has one of the 10. And it is your job, because the computer will always make the selection first, to pick the commander who would be best against this. So if you are stupid, you will pick your zombies to go up against someone with monks. Or you will pick (laughs) someone with harpies to go up against mages. These are the things a stupid person does, because you will lose. And the goal is to take down the opposing commander. Your troops, you can't give them specific or you can't give them individual orders. You have when you go into into battle, you have three generalized formations, and every commander has a fourth specialized type. Everybody has the what is it, the special formation where you just have a whole big mass of troops and you can order them to move around as one. You have the offense formation where about seventy percent of your troops are in a big wedge that you can order around as you please. And about 30% stay just milling around your commander to provide some protection. You can't give them any further order. You have the defense formation, which is pretty much worthless and should never be used unless you really want to not be effective. It inverts the sizes from the offense formation. And then you have everybody's specific other types. You have the surround formation, where you have two gigantic wedges that slowly advance. You have the squad formation, where... Almost all of your troops are divided into four squads that you order forward individually, and they have an enhanced attack power that way. You have other formations that I'm not remembering. And when you're ordering your troops around, you order them to advance, to retreat, to hold still, to break to the sides, which means that they will go to the edges of the screen. And often, and occasionally you might actually want to do that if your opponent has a really powerful spell that will just destroy everything in the path. And generally, if you have absolutely nothing left and want to try and get everybody into the action, you can choose melee, or is it melee, when you order everybody to just attack? Yeah, that would be melee. Basically, just charge in. Usually what you want to use when you you have victory is pretty clear. You don't want to use it before that, because once you use melee, they will not. And they are incredibly stupid. If there is one enemy soldier left, they will just try and chase that enemy soldier down instead of doing something smarter like attacking the commander too. Nope, they will just run around the field. That'll show them. And this is important because there are 90 seconds in a battle. Once the 90 seconds are over, you you have either won or lost. Or you get a draw if neither side has been. And if you get a draw, then neither you nor the enemy can use that commander again until this particular encounter is done. So your goal is to take down the commander. The commanders just sit there in a stationary spot and do not move. However, they have spells. Those spells are affected by a counter. Once you use a spell, you have to wait for the counter to to tick down again before you can use another spell. What do the spells do, you might ask? Well, they do a number of things. There are some thieves and ninjas who have very irritating spells that if you hit the commander with, will throw the counter back so that it takes longer before you can use another spell. There are spells that will hit anything in front of the commander, killing it instantly, and do some damage to the opposing commander. There are variants on those spells that will hit the surrounding rows, killing everything in them, along with the commander. 
there are spells that will hit the center of the battlefield and blow up everything in it. There are spells that will mire everybody in mud for a while so that they can't move because they're flying. There are spells that just directly attack the enemy commander without doing anything to the troops. There are spells that attack the troops. There are some whirlwind ones that like to just try and sweep everything in the middle of the screen away. There are some nastier spells. If you fight an enemy that has revive, then even though you've just killed a bunch of the troops, the enemy can just revive some, and it keeps going. Although that is kind of nice when you have that ability. And there are others, but those are the major ones. Oh, yes. And here is how mages are great. Archers to a lesser extent. It's because all of the other troop types, they're they're considered melee, and they can't attack while a spell is happening. The, the clock freezes when you use a spell so that the spell animation can be carried out. And some of these spells especially have fairly lengthy animations. And mages and archers can keep attacking during that time and killing other troops, while the melee troops can't do anything about it. Again, though, since mages fire faster and are strong against... I think they're also strong against zombies. I think you're right. The holy power of a mage, uh, a zombie just can't compete. Though not to the degree of monks. Monks rip zombies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that is an ex- that is a thing you will want to strategize. When to use your spells if you are in command of mages and trying to prevent them from being used against you if your opponent has mages and you don't. <laughs> because something else mages can do... And archers, but again, archers are slower. They can just keep shooting at the enemy commander, even though they're not right next to it, and occasionally causing damage. Melee troops have to get in there and close with the commander, and with some commanders, that's just a joke, like Terrace. If a couple of dragons get down there and punch her, then she's probably dead, because she's not much for physical defense or hit points. But with mages, you can just park one right in front of the commander and let it keep going. And frequently the enemy AI is stupid and will decide to run away, even though there's only five seconds left and there's no way you could beat it. But, oh no, you've hurt me. I can't win. I'm going to run away. <laughs> that sounds like a sound strategy. And once the only time the commanders get to do anything other than automatically attack a soldier that's directly next to them or use spells is when it, all of the soldiers are dead. And that's when you get to duel. You are taking a risk, because that is the way you get a game over in Dragon Force. If your monarch goes down, game over. Any other commander can go down, no problem. A couple of them will get injured, and you have to wait a couple of weeks to use them again, but otherwise, they're fine. Oh, unless you've got some generic... Those people can die, but you don't care, because you get plenty of them. They're automatically... And certain commanders are much better at dueling than others. Leon seems to be really good at it. Ooh. When the duel is done, wins. You there? I'm here. Cut out again. You still here, Mr. Apps? Yes. Okay. Discord is trying to be troublesome. And let's see here. I have just described the combat phase. Every battle with a commander that you get into during the combat phase gives you a ward that you can give to people during the administration phase, which comes after the combat phase. Each award lets you command 10 more troops. Once you have a total of 10 awards for a given troop category, you can have the 100-soldier army. And once you have 100-soldier army going up against another 100-soldier army, the PS1 would have choked. I think we pretty much agree on that. Oh, yes. I didn't hear you. Oh, yes. You're being troublesome. I see you saying something, but I can't hear it. 
It is not a good night for Discord. And it's really weird because we used this on the last podcast. And to... I've used it on Dungeons and Dragons games without this many issues. Oh. I'm, I'm sorry, everybody. You can hear our wonderful technical difficulties as they <laughs> attempt to destroy our rhythm in speech patterns. RPG Backcheck is not responsible for any technical issues or damage they may cause while you are listening. Aren't we, though? Aren't we? All right, so during the administration phase, you get to attend to your castle. You can have your commanders do one of two things during each administration phase. You can have your commander attempt to fortify the place. And for, well, that's that's a good thing because it, A, allows you to hold more troops inside with each successful fortification. And holding more troops inside is good because you have to otherwise wait for the uh, – at, at the lowest possible level, each castle only holds 60 troops. And waiting for that to replenish each time so that you can replenish all of your armies with potentially 100 troops each means that you'll be going back there a lot. And once you have managed to up the fortification level to its max, you can hold 550 troops in there much faster. Plus, your defenses are better with each fortification level you manage. And it tops out at 50, and then you have a massive 50% defensive advantage when somebody attacks you. You are probably not going to lose in that case. Or you can have your commanders search. And when you search, you can find any number of things. You can find equipment. The equipment doesn't have huge numerical effects, but it can give you additional defense or additional offense, which can come in handy for your commanders. You can find statues of Athena, I think, and statues of uh, a dragon, I think, to increase a commander's HP and MP, which is great because some commanders just don't have enough MP to make use of all the spells they seem to get. Or they can find crests, and crests allow you to give commanders the ability to command new types of troops other than the ones they were they began with. And you might, in fact, want that because none of your none of your rulers come with the ability to command dragons, and you will probably want to give them that ability because dragons are really, really good. And you have to use all of the rulers and nothing but the rulers in the final battles of the game. Feel like chiming in at all, Mr. Apps, or am I covering it pretty well? You're covering it very well. Yay! All that time I spent with the game is paying off. Because <laughs> I did beat it with all eight commanders. I did as well. Which is how I can informally say that the story is different, and and that actually translates into a different succession of events for each one of them. For a couple of the commanders, your, uh, your opposing rulers will be pretty quick to ally with you once you beat them, and some of them will even ally with you once you get close. You don't even have to fight. While others, you actually have to beat into submission, and some of them will sit around in your jail and not. You you can try to recruit them, and they will general, and they will just keep saying no, <laughs> in creative ways, thanks to working designs. But they will say things like, "I would rather I would rather have a nice helping of toenail soup than help you," something <laughs> like that. <laughs> of course, for commanders who are not critical, sometimes you can get a reply like. Get the hell out of my cell. I never want to see your face again. And then you try again in the very same session and you get, you know what? That doesn't sound so bad. Count me in. (laughs) Which might be considered imperfect characterization, let's say. But we're not not classifying this game based on its in-depth portrayals of each and every potential commander out of the dozens of characters because it's not that kind of game. No. 
And the end game for every character is pretty similar. I've conquered the world, all the commanders, have figured, all the rulers have figured out who they are and what they need to do. Gaul and Sith unveil their true nefarious colors. <laughs> and then the third apostle, um, no, servant of Madric shows up, which is Katmando. A Katmando looks kind of like a big UFO or uh, the Gravitron at a circ at a carnival. <laughs> and it comes down and you have to fight it with your commander, which is actually kind of dangerous because it has several spells that will hit your commander really, really hard. So since you have to use your ruler, if you don't kill it quickly, then uh, you could be game over from Katmando. And then you've, you've done it. You've, you've unlocked the power of Harzgalt in order to take down Madric. And then some dragon men will just start popping up, which are great if you are underleveled. Because even though everyone says, oh, don't pay any attention to them. They're just trying to distract you in the task of getting ready for Madric. It's a, it's a JRPG. You, you can take as much time as you need. Beat the crap <laughs> out of those dragon men over and over until you have all the battle awards and crests you need to get in there and rip everything apart. And then you take all eight commanders. They go off and fight Madric, which involves... First you fight Sith, and Sith transforms into her true form, where she has a unique type of soldier that you've never seen anywhere else in the game. Are they? They're kind of like sirens. Did anybody ever come up with a name for them? I I don't think so. And you have two of the rulers will take her on. And at this point, if both of them lose, it's game over. Once you beat her... Two of your other rulers will take on Gaul, who transforms into his true form. He rips out of his ugly cloak and looks like a towering demonic gray thing. (laughs) And again, if you lose to him with both commanders, game over. And then three three other rulers will take on Katmando, which has no troops, but will constantly shoot missiles out that hit your commanders. And the missiles do a lot of damage. And if you, well, again, game over all three of them lose. And then your chosen ruler gets to take on Madric, which, yeah, un- unless you're fo- fouling up somehow, you should be able to take down Madric. I've never actually failed, but then again, I was, I knew the risk at that point and did not screw around. Yeah, it was never, never too hard to complete the game. It's just a matter of, um, I, I mean, I feel like you've figured out strategies enough by the time you get to the end game that it's not too, too tough. It is very satisfying. Well, the very first time I ever played the game, I didn't fully understand the mechanics yet, and I actually got to the end game. I had chosen Terrace, don't ask me why, as my ruler. <laughs> and for whatever reason, Sith, Gaul, and Katmando were all much stronger than I'd ever seen them. They had more HP, huh. which didn't work out very well when my, when my rulers were not that strong. And it was Terrace. She was a glass cannon. Yeah, I've never been able to get that to repeat, so maybe I just need to try it and take it at a really low level again. I have no idea. But anyway, I think we just—I think I've described most of the mechanics here. So, Mr. Apps, you need to talk for a while. Why sure. is this game addictive? Uh, I mean, we talked a lot about the mechanics. I think it's relatively straightforward. Um, I mean, yeah, it takes some time to kind of get used to everything, and probably for a lot of people playing a game, we're not in, like, direct control of absolutely everything may be a little daunting but i'd say for me this is kind of like a a relatively 
simple like real time strategy ish type game that um it's kind of easy to learn and difficult to master i guess would be the the best way to describe it i can kind of agree with that yeah and it's just fun to like toy around with things and figure out how things work and kind of conquer the other conquer the other leaders and get to mess around with the new troops and it's just fun it's just really fun to to um figure out like um figure out what's strong against what and um what the difference like uh commander spells are and you know getting getting to acquire some of the generals that you fought against is really cool and i mean the game has a really good look to it as lots of sega rpgs on the saturn did so you know all the generals are really cool and it's it's just really fun i don't you know i've obviously kind of repeating that but um you know this there's not nothing too super deep about the story obviously it's conquer the country conquer the whole continent and then save the world um but i mean it's just fun to go back to it's fun um to try the different commanders and um mess around with everything and you know it's it's very it's very easy to uh replay it it's not like i don't think any playthrough is super long or anything so uh no you you can make it longer if you want sure play defensively and the computer will obligingly just keep attacking you until it runs out of soldiers, and then here's the best way to make sure the computer's attacking. Take all those grunt soldiers that you don't want or the ones who are refusing to join you, lead a party over to an enemy castle, and then run away. And all of your captives will be dumped off the castle, and the enemy will magically recruit all of them the, <laughs> next, the next week and send them at you. So you get to beat the crap out of them again. I did that numerous times because, let's face it, keeping people who don't want to join you in the jail... Seems like it's, a waste when I can just give them to the enemy and beat the crap out of them again. Exactly. <laughs> and properly teach them the lesson, you should have joined me. <laughs> that doesn't work for the special commanders for each ruler, though, because once you capture them, they just stay in the in the prison and won't join you until the ruler does. Right. But yeah, yeah, you this... mentioned how nice this game looks, because as you mentioned, I don't think the PS1 could have handled it. Nope. It's a very sprite-heavy game. Uh, and, yeah, I think it's up to 100 soldiers on each side, so if you really think about it, that's a ton of sprites on the screen at any given time. And if you just put the camera in the middle of it, you can see a little bit of slowdown. That's a lot of sprites, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think the PS1 could have even tried. It was choked. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, for that era of gaming, that's that's a lot going on at once and each ruler has a different overworld theme and some of them are very very nice yeah and each battle area has a different theme but since you're mostly going to be fighting in castles you're going to hear that one a lot yeah but i mean that's that's a nice thing about it is just the little touches of you know making the generals and stuff from each country have like a distinct look and uh and and the working designs touch shows in all of them have unique before and after battle quotes and things that they say for their spells. Even, I mean, the generic ones often share stuff, but you kind of expect that when, oh, it's the third lady who looks exactly the same as these other ladies, and she has exactly the same spells as they do. Wow, what a shock. <laughs> and some of them have unique animations, too. Junon has this thing, 
Sonic Blast. It's a it's a very powerful spell because it hits all five rows directly in the center and around the commander. So anything in those rows will get blast will get taken out. And that's a fairly common spell, but Junon's is where she just leaps in the air and slams down and five bolts come out in front of her and go across the entire screen. And she says, die, maggots, when she does it. Because Junon is cool. Yes. And she ends up with Leon, who's also pretty cool. And oh, pretty damn Ter- cool. I'm being perfect. Terrace ends up with Wine, Wayne. I don't know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> Cat in uh, in the Gongos army. She has the unique spell, the Reaper spell. One HP each. So if you can engineer that right. No, we're getting cutouts again. No. You there, Damn Mike? You kick yourself because, right. oh crap, that was a nasty gamble to make. They're in the game to have that. Okay, well, is there any other big thoughts before we wrap this up? Uh, play this game. <laughs> If you can, it's unfortunate. I agree with that. It's it a... is incredibly addictive. Yeah, I mean, the sad thing to me about this one, like some other Saturn RPGs, is there's just not a lot like this. Uh, the closest thing I think I've seen in recent years is Pokemon Conquest, but I mean that wasn't that wasn't really real time strategy at all or anything. So, uh, yeah, there's just. If you're looking for this sort of experience, it's just it doesn't exist, and that kind of sucks. <laughs> so, uh, well, I can talk about Dragon Two. Told me want to introduce that. All right. Well, let me do one thing. Oh wait, wait, wait! Phil has to tell us how much Dragon Force costs first. Oh yes. Because as we know, this is a Saturn game, which means it is very accessible up to the masses. Hmm. Well, especially I'm... Phil, who's our who is a resident Saturn expert. We've heard this before. Yeah, and unfortunately, GOG doesn't have this game. I looked. I don't know it's, why. It's never been on PC. I, I just figured they would find a way. <laughs> you know, it just sounds so awesome. I figured, I figured they could do it. You know, but apparently not. So all that's... you need to do is talk to Sega of Japan and see if the source code can be ported somehow. So I'm sure it will be easy to do. So mm-hmm. I dug hard, and I dug, I dug hard, and I dug far, went far, and I found a brand new because that's what our that's what our listeners demand they don't want something that's been used and scuffed they want it brand new in the shrink wrap and i have found it for the low low price of here we go right 849 dollars and 99 cents oh that's pretty bad all yeah yeah, that's not too bad seems good yeah. That's just my entire paycheck or thereabouts. Yep, yep that sounds about right. Uh, I mean, you can get just the disc alone for about a hundred. Uh, <laughs> you can get uh, you can get one with a kind of torn up case for two hundred. And how about a complete copy? But I really feel like that our listeners want to go for the gold. And it had better be shipped in a secure ma- manner because those Saturn cases are big and they're bulky and they're prone to getting damaged in the mail unless you package them right. Oh yes. Yeah, so I like those cases, but dang, nab it! There's a reason they were switched over pretty soon. Yeah, yeah. So there, I, I know, I know that's what everyone's rushing for, though, right? Mm-hmm. Well, hey, I, I've got eight hundred and fifty bucks to blow. I might as well get my brand new sealed copy of Dragon Force, because then you're guaranteed to get the working designs manual, which, as usual, comes with some nice. They became more standard over the years, but at the time, 
not many other companies actually put as much effort into the manuals as Wing Designs did. Yeah. That's yeah, a shame. Those manuals well, are 1996. So nice. This was when we got was it was the first Suikoden, which uh, let's see that that came with its its localization, which is not on the level of Suikoden two. It was still nothing anybody remembers fondly. Uh, oh, of course, the original Persona with its truly oh, superb boy. localization that has definitely stood the test of time. <laughs> Atlas did not go back and change anything for its PSP re-release, right? Sure, as long as there are no follow-up questions. I have none. <laughs> Why would I? I have just uttered a completely true statement. Hmm. Well... What is uh, what is true about Dragon Force 2 is it was initially released in April 2nd, 1998 for the Sega Saturn. In Japan. Yeah. And it was not released over here because by 1998, the Saturn outside of Japan was not doing that well. Sega had done an excellent job of alienating working designs, which left, I guess, Sega of America would have had to localize the game itself. And that would have been oh too much to ask. Remember, remember, Mike, how how many games Sega of America was for the Saturn in that long window between its its end of the Dreamcast? Just wasn't it such a great company looking out for the fans with all that stuff? They released games. <laughs> you remember how we got the Shining Force three scenarios two and three from Sega of America, right? Ooh. I remember how we During got that long, long period of time when nothing else was coming out from Sega, and it would have just been nice f- for the fans. I remember Magic Knight, uh, Ray Earth. That was from Sega, right? Right? No. <laughs> so, Working Designs was not going to do it. Sega of America didn't do it, and by 1998, those were pretty much the only options for re- localizing something on the Saturn, unfortunately. So now, did Dragon this, Force 2, Mike, did this come let's out? Let's get it out of the way. It is very. If you've played the first, you will probably understand what you're doing pretty fast. Very similar. Did this come out before? After? Similar. Did this come out before or after Working Designs brought over Magic Knight Ray Earth? Yeah, so, but Working Designs announced that three years before it came out. Yeah, that's true. I'm just yeah, and that was basically the final Saturn game. It was. It came out after even everything. The last four things from Sega, which could have been so many more, but oh my goodness, we've already lost so much money on this machine. Why would we ever want to try and patch things up with those people who have stuck with the Saturn to the end? Nah, let's not do that. (laughs) That's a waste of time. Oh, the Sega Saturn. It It looks similar, but with a darker visual tone. Much darker green. I kind of like it, but it's not as um, eye-popping as the first one. Now, the major difference in combat right away is not only that you have a whole seven new troop types. They include uh, gargoyles and robots and robot cavalry. I can't remember the other. Oh, ghosts. Those are another one. But you can now actually troll two types of troops in the same battle. That does sound cool. It is pretty cool. Now, the story, since I played I played this thing 12 years ago, I think it was, there were no translations at that point, so I was going completely off of what I could glean from it. Again, you have eight monarchs. This is 500 years after the first one, and oh my goodness look, gracious, look at this. Even though the land is completely shaped differently, I, I guess the death of Madrid uh, changed the geographic layout of the world, but 
bad things are happening. There are eight countries again that are looking to conquer the world. You're going to have to try. You're going to have to be one of them. And once again, you get to control six of them at the start, and you get to control the other two only after you've beaten the game. And there are definitely some changes with the characters this time, although they're recognizably similar to the first game. Instead of Reinhardt, we have, uh, what is her name, Seneca? She looks like she's 10, and she's the commander of that country. And I think she found Kathmandu, or it definitely looks kind of like Kathmandu, and, but I think Working Designs changed the name on Kathmandu, so I'm not quite sure here. But she makes it, she makes it her friend, and she uses it in battle every, every time you take her out. It's neat. Hmm. Um, the guy with a mask is actually a guy this time, and he's cursed with it, so he can't take it off. It's not uh, a covering up his identity thing. You've got someone looking kind of like Terrace, although she's slightly more effective in combat. You've got a thief guy. You've got a demon-looking dude. Bats or bots, whatever. You've got... There are three others, and I don't remember right now, even though I did beat the <laughs> game all with all eight of them. <laughs> All right, so here are our major differences, aside from having two troop types and a total of 17 different troop varieties now. First, commanders can now learn up to five spells instead of just three, although most will top out at four. Only the commanders and a couple of really special troops will get up to five. Second, draws no longer remove you from being able to fight again during the same encounter, so that can be kind of annoying if you were trying to run out the clock on somebody and it doesn't work anymore. Mm. Third, troops with ranged weapons don't go across the entire screen anymore. They they peter out uh, a distance from the troop, but they don't go across the entire screen. So there's no more being able to rip everything up while standing in, in place. Aww. And here's the, here's a major difference, which is actually kind of aggravating. In the first Dragon Force, the computer is constantly moving. It doesn't directly attack you a lot, but you can see it attacking other nations. Its troops are constantly going out and getting captured and taking castles back and forth. That kind of stops pretty early in Dragon Force 2, and then there's just no more movement unless you do it. And that means you have to take advantage of these uh, these caves, which you can enter, where you can fight demons for experience, which we'll probably do in order you know, this is Dragon Force, you gotta get the awards, you gotta get characters leveled but the demons always have the same type of troop and that means grind grinding off of them gets kind of boring hmm. and once you get to a certain point you know you've, you've unified the continent oh my goodness what's going to happen now why a gigantic landmass is going to appear in the center of the continent with a whole bunch of new empty castles that you've got to go occupy <sighs> including three new commanders of well he's not called madrick uh Maybe that's another name working designs changed, but oh my goodness, he's just a big tough guy when you first fight him. And then once you beat him, oh my goodness, he turns into a dragon. I wasn't oh. expecting that. And you've got to beat him. Shocking. Oh, and also Sith and Gaul show up again. Only I think I'm pretty sure working designs did change the names here because they're called Grace and Gideon now. <laughs> oh, and that's the other major change. We have voice acting in Dragon Force 2. Voice acting? What? All of the plot points are voice acted. All right, that's a little weird. And of course, since it never got localized, it's all in Japanese. And you'll probably hear a few voices you recognize if you watch any anime. Uh, I don't know. So it was, as usual, hit and miss, but some of it helps you visualize the characters. Uh, Seneca, our 
whatever her name is, the, the little girl magician who's in charge of a nation of mages. She has, as you would expect, one of those super high-pitched voices that makes you think she's even younger than she looks, which uh, I I had enough of, but too bad. She's the, she's a ruler, so you've got to use her. <laughs> However, there is enough here to make it worth recommending, especially if you got addicted to the first Dragon Force, you will want to try this to see what's changed, to see what's in, different. It's not as good as the first, I would say, but it has enough of, what's to, of what worked to make it worth at least checking out. And heck, I did manage to play through it with all eight of the characters, so obviously it did something right. Does it look any nicer than the original? The visuals upgraded at all? Somewhat. Okay. The new the new troops definitely look interesting, and the old troops also don't look the same. They have new sprites. Oh, and dragons are no longer really the world-conquering beasts that they were, but there's a, there's a somewhat longer flowchart and more strengths and weaknesses to take advantage of. The dragons are fairly strong, but they're not the be-all, end-all of troops anymore. Interesting. And all the spell animations look good. The battlefields look good. And there are actually a wider variety of battle themes to be played in this one, which I appreciated because each nation actually now has its own unique here while fighting as it, and that helps vary the audio quite a bit. Oh, that's pretty cool. And for all I know, this has been translated in some capacity by now. I played it 12 years ago. It might have happened. But it's perfectly playable in Japanese if you're willing to give it a shot. Because if you played Dragon Force 1, you'll figure out what you're doing pretty fast here. There's a crafting function. And I can't even remember how the heck it works. I just remember it's in there. And that was the one that actually required me to pay attention a bit. Because some of the items in the crafting are in kanji. And I had to try and scribble down what the heck that was so I could make sure I was crafting things the right way. <laughs> but it's 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 worth trying out if you can find it. And the Japanese copies, I'm pretty sure, are still super cheap, although I'm sure Phil will chime in and tell me if there are, in fact, super exclusive limited edition sealed copies from Japan that we should be looking for to, to open our wallets fully. Right, Phil? Well, I think that's only fair. Yes, I we mean, should. I think that's what our audience demands. Right? Yep, yep. So uh, see if you can find any new sealed Dragon Force 2 I don't, I, I don't know. There's a Dragon Force 2 English translation for $25. Is that the game or just a text file, just a text that you pick up and read along with? Let's see. Uh, no, it's just the, I guess that they just translated the the case. <laughs> that was That was misleading. <laughs> wow. I was all excited uh, and whatnot. Uh, in order to play the game, an action replay plus with the latest Suedo Saturn software is needed. In other words, emulation? Well, if you play it on a, on a physical Saturn, you put an action replay plus in the cartridge slot and it'll let you play things from anywhere. Oh, well, there you go. In that respect, the Saturn is much easier to work with than the PlayStation. But uh, that thing is a pain in the butt to if, make import work on. If you just don't want a fancy cover by itself and you want the whole game, it's running about forty bucks. It's Get a little bit less. Thirty-five to forty bucks after shipping. Huh, that's that's considerably more than I paid for it twelve years ago. Darn inflation. Ah, maybe some other people finally realized just because it's Japanese doesn't mean we shouldn't get it. They already knew that about Radiant Silvergun, of course. And to close out our Dragon Force discussion, I suppose we should mention it on PS2 because that was the Sega Ages version of Dragon Force. Was that any good? 
Well, I've having not played it, I can't say for certain, but it it is the only opportunity for anybody who doesn't know any Saturn to play it. And it's one of the few Sega Ages games that, well, how many other Sega Ages games actually take, took something off of the Saturn? That's true. It's very maybe true. Panzer, maybe Panzer Dragoon 1, but that was on PC too. Yeah. Anyway, as the, as the Sega Ages title, it didn't get much in the way of improvements, although I think it got some voice acting and some redone character portraits. And there are probably some other fi- some other slight changes that I would notice if I played it, because I'm so familiar with the original, and yet I haven't played it. I can just tell you that it exists. And of course, since that initial Sega Ages compilation did so badly outside of Japan, we got no more of them outside of Japan, and it stayed in Japan, which means... We are still limited to the working designs released on the Saturn. If you want to play this in an officially localized English, sorry. Boo. Although we know that our audience wants all the best and will be satisfied with all the best, so yeah, I saw it. Get out there. I know there's some. There was um, some MU work done, or you know, some translation work done on the emulation. I've never actually farted around with Sega Saturn em- emulation before, though. To know how good that is. I know that it now can be done. I don't know how... I I still think it's considerably more complicated than trying to emulate pretty much anything except... Uh, oh, I know, the Jaguar CD. That That's a real hot topic of emulation discussion. <laughs> they were so excited to find out that they could, they never stopped to ask themselves that they should. <laughs> well, how else are people going to play that Highlander game on the Jaguar CD if they don't emulate it? <laughs> uh... Like, is this something we really should be doing, guys? No, you know, it's so exciting. Let's just do it anyways. Who cares? Well, Phil, if only you had been able to tell that to Atari in the mid-90s, maybe something would have been saved. <laughs> like Atari's last glimmer of a positive reputation in the gaming world. Ah, uh, poor Atari. Poor Atari. All right. Well, I think that was a good romp. Well, through Dragon yeah, Force Land, you have something yeah, else. Yeah, Mr. Apps, do you have anything else to say? I pretty much dominated this. No, I'd say you did a great job. Um, my memory is a bit fuzzier than I thought it would be, but I mean, uh, the game is awesome. Like, it's just one of those games where it doesn't require you to think a lot, or it requires you to think, but doesn't require you to think a ton. It just it's just entertaining. You know, there's a lot of different troops to mess with, different countries to mess with you get to pick which one you want to try out and just there's a lot to it and it's a lot of fun you know and hopefully hopefully at least one person listening to this will play it for the first time and then i would say mission accomplished because uh, a criminally small number of people played this game this is sad to me yeah and this was a fairly early saturn release back when the the winners in the console wars of that generation hadn't been decided yet. So you, but then again, it was also a working designs release, and those things have never received print runs. Yeah. And look how much Victor Ireland has learned with his amazingly lavish releases for Summon Night Five and Six. He's learned something. Ah, uh, he's learned that what he did before with limited editions in small numbers was absolutely the right thing to do and he should keep doing it apparently (laughs) well i'm glad there was at least a standard edition that that i could just buy instead which i did and i bought it too i i don't need however much extra there is in the whatever he's calling the gaijin Works special edition i'm sure it has a funky name yeah it did have some funky name forget what it was 
and we could talk more about it. I, I do want to reemphasize that the story is sufficiently different with each character, but also the way they go about conquering the world is different. Characters that you have no idea who the hell they are with any of the other commanders, you actually get a couple of scenes with so that you can understand, oh, oh, that's who this lady is. This lady with the whip who Terrace fights right at the beginning. This lady who has some really uh, entendre-ridden dialogue. <laughs> because she wants to be queen instead of Terrace, and Terrace promises her she'll be, I'll let you be queen once we win the war, then I'll let you be queen. I don't want to be queen. Oh, okay, then I'll join you. <laughs> and then she uses her whip in combat and says things like, oh, I beware, I'll hurt, I'll hurt you so good. <laughs> And you'll have no idea who the hell she is unless you've played with Terrace because she's ne- none of that is ever mentioned with any other ruler. It's fun. Play this game. Don't care how you play it. Play it. It's worth it. Do it. No. Do it. All right. So uh, we'll let you, we'll give you guys some minutes to go run out and buy your eight hundred and ninety nine dollar copy. <laughs> uh, plus, you'll probably need another eight hundred ninety nine dollars just to find a Sega Saturn. Uh, but while you're doing that, uh, we'll take a break and we'll be right back with an RPG backtrack sidetrack. So hold on tight. This is the RPG Backtrack Sidetrack, where we talk about PC games from all over the place. And we've gone really far back for this one, Mr. Minky. We're, we're, we're going back to... How, how the hell do you pronounce it? Akalabeth? Akalabeth? Not quite that far. Not quite. You know, I think I think even I have, I, even I have some modernized standards, and I, I just can't do... I can't do that one. Then we're going back to the very first wizardry? No, no, that would definitely come underneath the classification of too old-school hardcore for for even Phil. Wait, but you love Wizardry 8. I know you I know you definitely have to go play all of the earlier entries in the series. No, no, I don't. No, just uh, Wizardry 8. 
Uh, then, then we're talking about okay. We're not doing Akalabeth, but we are doing Ultima Three, where the floor kills you. Yeah, I've heard that's fun. I've, I've heard that 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 dangerous floors makes for some exciting gameplay. But no, isn't it Ultima One that has a Tie Fighter somewhere in somebody's backyard? Oh, maybe you go to space. Yeah. No, I'd like to do some of the Ultima games, but I think I might start with something a little bit more modern. Than, than Ultima 1 or 3. I don't recommend starting with Ultima 9. Yeah, yeah well, that's, yeah. Oh, wait, wait, Phil, I forgot. You love it when you get to sit there and wait as the game crashes really, because that's what it does on everything now. So go for it. I'm, I'm sure you'll have fun. I know you love it when the game crashes and it takes about 60 seconds, apparently, for it to save each time, so you'll be sitting around a long time. You know... Uh, with these PC games, uh, the number nine in the series has always been, you know, bad luck, whether it's Ultima 9 or Might and Magic 9 was just full of bugs and just a mess. That's why Wizardry well, was Magic smart. went on to 10. Yeah, they went, that was like much later separate company, but, but their nine, nine was horrible. And uh, that's, stopped at eight. that's yeah. why Wizardry was smart. They, they stopped at eight. Um, Unless you count... How many freaking Japanese wizardry games do we have now? Oh my gosh, so many wizardry like games. Did we t- they, they they greatly outnumber the original Western series at point. Yeah, did we talk about that? Um, I can't remember if we talked about that on the air or off the air about the wizardry Japanese spinoffs. I don't think we talked about it on the air. We talked about wizardry seven and eight, and because nobody had actually played any of the first six wizardries, we had to leave that for another day. And funny enough, once we got you going on Wizardry 8, we had enough for a show. How did, how the hell did that happen? I know, all right. I, I mean, so, uh, you, know, it, 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 you know, for Wikipedia here, because that's our sole source of, of ironclad information, in 2009, several Japanese publishers and development teams started a brand revitalization plan, which they called the Wizardry Renaissance. After Surtech, the wiz, uh, original Wizardry creator in the U.S. was dissolved, several semi-official games were created in Japan of varying quality and thematic elements. Wizardry Renaissance aimed to rebuild the brand by agreeing to a certain worldview and quality standards to these semi-official Wizardry games. And I don't know, I don't know um, if it was technically one of them, but Class of Heroes and Class of Heroes 2 definitely comes to mind because those are, aside from the fact they look very Japanese anime-ish, the gameplay is hardcore Wizardry. Makes actually Wizardry 8 almost look like a walk through the park. Don't let the cutesy graphics fool you, boys and girls. No, Class of Heroes is here to kick your ass. I don't think we've actually talked about Class of Heroes at length, although I'm sure we've mentioned it from time to time. Yeah, well, it's tough uh, to find someone who's actually been through it. I know Glenn, I believe Glenn was the one who played through them for and reviewed them for RP Gamer. The first one. Did he do the second one also? I don't remember. I want to say yes, but I couldn't bet money on it. But anywho, uh, what I wanted to talk about today, which, by the way, it, this did go on to nine games, but it was smart enough not to number them. So it avoids the curse of nine. Uh, but I want to talk about the very first gold box game, Pools of Radiance, the first of nine games of, of the gold box series. Uh, you know, there was actually a couple more if you include uh, like Unlimited Adventures, uh, maybe the Buck Rogers games and the such that that utilize the gold box engine. But uh, these maybe are... if I had known that I had one of the Buck Rogers games. I think there's only one that was released on Genesis and I tried to play it for a little while and 
had no idea what the hell I was doing and gave up. That yeah. was 15, 16 years ago. So maybe if I tried it again, I would get somewhere. Yeah, and you can, you know, if you're interested in it and you are you don't mind uh, tinkering around with DOSBox, uh, you can find it on Abandonware sites. Uh, unfortunately, uh, GOG has, has had a little bit of difficulty, I imagine, getting the, you know, getting the publishing rights with the fact that it's tied up with not only the D&D license, but the Buck Rogers license. But with that being said, uh, the pool, you know... Is the Buck Rogers license all that valuable now? It's locked up somewhere because, you know, they're going to release that into a new movie series and TV show series any day now. Why not? They've done every other show from around that time period. Buck Rogers is coming up. Well, I mean, we haven't had a Flash Gordon revival since the goofy 1980 movie with with a Queen soundtrack. Look at what they did with Battlestar Galactica, man. That is true. And yet, Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers... Not signed. not touched, yeah, yeah. We could talk about those sometime. I mean, my memory though, but unlike wait, yours, wait, would go back I fifteen forgot, years. I forgot, Phil. We're getting an Alf reboot. Woo! Now that's some valuable IP. That is what everybody was demanding too. I'm sure. And it's so early; they haven't decided if it's going to be a puppet or a CG Alf now. Oh, jeez. I, I knew that would make your day, so I figured I should tell you. It's just, a, you know, well, they don't even get me started on what they're doing to Star Trek right now. Uh, yeah, I don't look forward to these reboots as much anymore. But I am enjoying the Voltron reboot on, on you, Netflix. You mean you're not eagerly awaiting the next Robin Hood because we're getting another one this year? <clears throat> oh, boy. All right, let's talk about Pools of Radiance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's do that. You'll probably have more fun. Yeah. So, uh, Pools of Radiance is the first of a series of games that we call the Goldbox games. And, and, and the, those nine games are actually divided up into three different series themselves. This first series of games was the Forgotten Realm series. And it was actually a quadrilogy. You have Pools of Radiance, followed by Curse of the Air Bonds, followed by Secret of the Silver Blades, followed by Pools of Darkness. And what was one of the really cool things was you could actually take your party from one game to the next. By, you know, just importing your save file, which was really, really cool. Um, a few other games had done it, though. They weren't the first games to do it. But Pools of Radiance definitely uh, pulls ahead of its time and, and sets the bar in different in other different ways. Um, but we usually start off talking about the, the story. As I mentioned, this is part of the Forgotten Realms series. It's set in the Forgotten Realms fantasy world uh, in the city of uh, Flan. And... You are you are commissioned by the town to to take care of their problems because they're they have a lot of problems and they're beset by all kinds of evil creatures and corruption and and, and whatever have you. So uh, right next to the city, I mean, just to start off, there's a bunch of ruins that have been overtaken by monsters. And it's just right outside their walls. So you'll start off the game by going and clearing out the these the these areas. Uh, you know, and the such. Uh, but um, uh, there's, there's, uh, you know, once you clear that out, and that's a big, huge area. Uh, there's, there will be other area. They'll you need to clear out Sokol Keep, which is on Thorn Island, um, which is pretty much overrun with all kinds of undead creatures and the such. Uh, you'll be taking on adventures outside, and eventually take on evil spirit named uh, Theron Thraxis who has possessed an ancient dragon and is essentially the one causing a lot of these issues. So you'll get to you'll get to fight him at the end. He's your your big bad here. Did I just hear you pronounce a four syllable name without issue there, Phil? 
No, no, I, I'm sure I messed it up. I'm sure there was a right way to pronounce. Oh, I, right, 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 because this was text only, so there's no real clue as yeah, well. There's, yeah, there's, there's no real, yeah. Now, after we normally talk about the story, we normally talk about the characters. But the, the cool thing about this being a WRPG is the characters are whoever you make up, because you make your own party of six characters from various races uh, in different classes, fighter, rogue, wizard, cleric. This was the first gold box game, so your choices were pretty basic and, and pretty limited. Furthermore, it was working off the first, I believe it was the first edition, Advanced Dungeon Dragons rules, which had some very arbitrary limitations to it. For example, uh, whereas the normal maximum level in the game is 20, elves could only get to a max level of around, I think it's like 7 as a fighter, depending on their strength score, you know, because it could be a little bit lower, a little bit higher. Can you level them as a mage, or is that for anything an elf does? You can, but they can only get to level 11 as a mage. Are they so much better than any other species that you would want an elf in any way? They are resistant to, like, sleep spells and a couple of other minor things. That doesn't sound like a big enough advantage to justify having an elf can't get anywhere near as strong as people can have double the levels. Right. So especially if you're, and it depends on whether you're building a party just for pools of radiance, and maybe you're gonna, if you are going on a crusade or a bunch, you're gonna play something different, uh, a different party, or whether you plan to take this party all the way forward. Knowing a lot of this information would be key to strategizing exactly how you build the, the party, because one of the things that elves can do, or some of the other races can do that humans cannot, is they can take two classes at the same time. So an elf can be a fighter slash cleric, which is allows him to use the armor of the fighter, um, but be able to cast spells like a cleric wearing that armor, which normally a cleric couldn't do. Uh, the downside is, you know, you are splitting the experience between both level, uh, between both classes. So while a pure cleric will be at level five, your split person will be level four in both classes because, you know, it ramps up the XP per level. So you're not exactly half and half. It's just you're like a level or two behind at all times. But it's kind of a fair trade off depending on what you're looking at. Like for a cleric wizard who has both spells in one character, that's awesome. But with those limitations in mind, that's where you're kind of weighing what am I doing with my party long? There's definitely a lot of planning going into, you know, how you built your party. A lot, a lot of strategy there. The, um, But generally speaking, I usually go for humans for the most part. Uh, and one of the things, the, the humans, they can't split their classes. But get this, after they progress so far in a class, they can change class. So, for example, in uh, Curse of the Azur Bonds, which comes later on, I had a person who was a fighter up to 7th level. And I always pick 7th level to switch them because at 7th level, fighters pick up an extra attack every other combat round. So they'll get two attacks. That's a massive 50% increase in their damage capabilities, right? Then I'll switch him to a rogue. Uh, now at rogue, he's now a level 1 rogue. He still has his hit points, but pretty much every other statistic now is driving off a rogue. And he can only equip what a rogue can equip. Once his new once his new class, I think it meets, or maybe it succeeds, but once he gets back up there... To where he was as a fighter, he gets his basic fighter abilities back. He's able to wear the armor and use fighter weapons again because rogues can't use certain weapons that fighters can. So now you have a you know a different way of a fighter rogue, but he'll only gain experience in the rogue class from then on. He can't go back and get experience in fighter. It's kind of a weird setup. Hey, welcome to old school D and D. 
but it definitely gave you some strategic options as you were considering how to build your parties. The um, aside uh, aside from the deep character class building system, the combat is super be- deep. It's a tactical combat system. You're on a battle map on a grid every time you get into a fight. Positioning is super important. Uh, you'll be using your wizards, for example, will be using crowd control spells like Sneaking Cloud and Hold Person uh, and the such. And depending on where you're located, you can create choke points to give yourself advantages and to make some of the tough battles a lot easier. But if you're not careful, you'll easily, easily get overwhelmed. There's uh, The enemy can uh, sometimes will overwhelm and go right after your wizards in the back, which have the lower armor class and are easier to squish with less hit points, which you don't want. So you're generally trying to keep a strong front line to protect them. That does make sense. Wizards tend to be much less resistant to heavy physical things thrust in their direction than warriors yeah absolutely the uh, yeah is super deep and just a lot of fun um just just the different fights your first few levels also make a huge difference at level one you'll have like 10 hit points and but at level two you can have up to 20 i'm just you know for a fighter you know for a typical fighter for example that's double the hit points um your wizard at level one will have a couple of magic missiles, but by level three, he'll have three or four magic missiles, plus he'll have a stinking cloud or two, which are huge crowd control spells. Uh, so you'll only gain a few levels in playing Pools of Radiance. You might get up to level six, level seven, maybe level eight, depending on your class. But those early levels especially can make a big difference. Early in the beginning area, there is a group of, what were they, trolls or orcs? I believe it was trolls. It was trolls, and they had they had some backup. It might have been orcs. Anywho, those trolls hit like a freaking freight train. And I I think my group was level two at the time, and I had them pretty well decked out in armor. I know what armor to buy and D and D games and the such. But they just kept kicking my butt over and over and over and over and over again. And I felt like I was supposed to clear that area out. That is the mission that's given to you. But it turns out you can do some other things in the meantime. Get that extra level or two. And boy, it made such a huge difference. I came back and just mopped the floor with those guys. So um, yeah, kind of keep that in mind. If you're getting stuck, this game is actually surprisingly open world for a game that was developed. I forgot to mention this was uh, Pools of Radi- Pools of Radiance was developed by Strategic Simulations uh, for the Amiga, Apple II, Commodore 64, MS DOS, Apple Macintosh. Eventually, the NES as well, believe it or not, originally released. Have you played the NES version? I have, and I'm glad you asked. Um, How does it compare? It compares poorly, as you might expect. <laughs> I mean, if you have no other way to experience D&D Goldbox games, your mom couldn't get you a PC. It, it was okay as a port, but compared to the PC version... Or if your mom had the computer of the house and said, no games on this computer. Yeah, which my mom actually did. I ended up with a hand-me-down so I could play these games. The I was playing these in like later on in the 90s. Uh, I mean, I played them originally on the Commodore 64 at my friend's house uh, in the late 80s. But eventually, it would be the 90s until I had my own computer that was able to run these. Um, so figure that one out. Anywho, uh, the... Then, then you can go. Uh, some of the open worldness definitely comes in, and you can tackle the quest, and it'll give you a couple of quests at the same time, and you can tackle them whatever order you want. There's a big overworld. You can go get yourself into random encounters if you just want to try to grind up some more. 
but there's some of those adventures are out there and you can run into them before you even get the missions and get yourself into trouble. Um, it's, it's very open for such an old game and it was just really cool diving back into this. I haven't played it in 20 years and going back and just revisiting the past, uh, and seeing, you know, just, just, just remembering like this was not only was this so awesome because they did such a great job of translating the tabletop experience to the PC with such limited disk space. I mean, this thing was sold on 384k floppy disk. Right. right. These were back with the, uh, the the five and a quarter floppies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And the ones that were bigger and yet had less space than the later three and a half floppies. Exactly. And um, what? What was um, one of the things they had to do because they were so limited on space in those things? They had to they had to put the text for the story inside of a journal that was sold with the game, and it would tell you go read Journal Forty Five, and you have to flip through and find Journal Forty Five and read that to get that piece of the story. There were there were uh, maps in there and the such, but there were also some red herrings. So if you just were going to go ahead and read the journal entries, thinking you were going to get ahead, yeah, it wasn't going to end up too well. The, uh, the, yeah. So it was really, really cool, but it was their first game. So it did have a couple of, of things that, that I really miss from later iterations. For example, the fix command. What is the fix command? You might ask the fix command basically allows your priest to automatically heal the bar party while they rest without the fix command. You literally have to manually do it in every battle. Well, you can heal a battle, sure, but it's it's generally not recommended because it's not a great use of turns. But it's it usually would heal in between battles, or better yet, when you're ready to rest. But the problem is, is that you have to pick cure light wounds, pick a person, it heals them for five out of twenty five hit points. Keep doing that over and over and over again until that one person gets up to full, and then go to the next person. Oh, you're out of cure light wounds, rest. Now go back, rememorize them one time because you got to pick them from a memorization list. And then go back and cast them. It becomes an exercise of monotony really quick. Especially when you're like at level 5 and your average hit points are 40, 50 each. And this, the curing spells at level 5 are no better than they were at level 1. Really. Very little difference. So at level... That sounds awesome. Yeah. I, I love tediously using small heal spells over and over. It, it's one of my favorite uses of time. Yeah, exactly. So it, it later on in, in Curse of the Azur Bonds, whenever you would camp, you hit F for fix, and it would just automatically memorize and cast all the healing spells for you. Uh, you still had to memorize. There's still later on, there's more quality of life improvements that they would add to the Goldbox game, such as remembering what spells you memorized. So you'd have to rememorize them all every single time you rested. But I can deal with rememorizing my spells every rest. It's just casting Cure Light Wounds over and over and over again, especially in these early editions where healing was just so underwhelming. Uh, at first level, Cure Light Wounds does an average of five hit points, and when your guys have ten hit points each, okay, that's half their hit points. But let's say by level five, you still only have Cure Light Wounds. You don't get Cure Serious Wounds until like seventh level, and Cure Serious Wounds is n- nothing. It's not even much better. But Cure Light Wounds still does like, let's, I think it does like at that point, maybe seven hit points. But your characters have 40 or 50, so now it's only curing 20% or 15%. So it's it's just pathetic, and yeah, it's it's evil. And with D&D's, uh, what's that spell system called? Venation, Vatican, whatever? 
Do you remember what that's called when you have to memorize each level separately of spellcasting? No, I don't. I think it's Vatican, Vinigan, whatever it is. I'm sure somebody will Google it up. But with that spell, with basic, if it's seriously Vatican, then that means somebody was inspired by the Catholic Church when naming it. I know, right? Um, uh, now you're gonna make me Google it. So if you're a little typing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up. Um, let's see here. No, I think Van Vanchen maybe. Anywho, the whole point is. Um, uh, you your level one spells. It's very much like Final Fantasy one. If you played that, they they basically took that from D and D. Your level one spells, your level two spells, your level three spells. They're all in separate buckets. And at the beginning of the day, you got to pick which level one spells you want to memorize, and you have to memorize copies. So if you can memorize five first level spells, you might memorize Bless, Cure Light Wounds, and Bane, and two other spells. But you may also decide I need a lot of healing and just memorize five Cure Light Wound spells. Like, you, you have to memorize five copies of it and take up, you know, knock all the other ones out. Now, let's say you've cast all your Cure Light Wounds. you got second and third level spells memorized, but you really need a curing spell. Well, you're out of luck, buddy. Your magic, your, your cleric can cast more powerful spells, but he can't cure you for five more hit points because he's out of first level spells. Because he's out of that bucket. So, combining those problems that are inherent to the system along with, you know, that manual healing up every time of one spell at a time... That that did get on my nerves with with pools of radiance, uh, admittedly, and uh, you know that was one of the reasons I was like, okay, I put like fifteen twenty hours in, and and I was done, moved on. Let's move on to curse the Azerbots, where I can fix cast. I do love my fix casting. Ah, so nice. You and your efficiency. I know. What is this? You should enjoy all of the extra added gameplay where you have to go through the spell list every time. What what is this? Are you getting lazy in your old age, Phil? I am. Uh, oh, okay. Just wanted to step. But I do want to say that back then we had time to kill. We didn't know any better. We didn't, ha- you know, we didn't have those quality of life, you know, things. So we really did enjoy the best out of Pools of Radiance uh, back in the day. Uh, it's a little bit hard to recommend. I would definitely suggest, you know, for people if you want to look at it for historical purposes, go ahead. Otherwise, I would say jump into the second game of the series, Curse of the Azure Bonds, uh, which I'll talk about in a few months down the road because I'm going to go back and I'm already started working on it, but I'm going to play through the entire thing on that one. Um, no problem because I got fixed command. Uh, um, the other cool thing, uh, so the you can buy this off of GOG. For $10, you will get all of the Forgotten Realms gold box game plus some added games. You'll get Pools of Radiance, Curse of the Zerbon, you'll get Secret Silver Blades and Pools of Radiance. You'll get that quadrilogy right there. Plus, uh, you'll get Pools of... Um, I keep saying so many pools. I'm sorry. You'll get Hills Far, which is kind of like a little arcade throwaway game that was um, MS-DOS. It's very ignorable. But you'll get Gateway to the Savage Frontier and Treasures of the Savage Frontier, which were the last two gold box games. They were a duo. The, only, the games that are missing from here is what's called the Crin series, um, or uh, I think it's called um, Lance. Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue, but that's a trilogy that's sold separately and is considered by most the, the best gold box series. You also get Forgotten Realms Unlimited Adventures for that 10 bucks, which is the most advanced gold box game. It comes with its own pre-created scenario, but allows you, its big selling point was it allowed you to make and download, which I'm sure you can find on the internet even to this day, but allow you to download and play those scenarios. So you get all of that for $10. Um, absolutely recommended. And when you buy these games, you get the clue books, which we didn't have back in the day. 
which does make playing these games a lot more enjoyable for those of us with more modern sensibilities and, and are a little bit less patient uh, in trying to figure some of this stuff out. So that's that's really cool. One last little novelty I'll mention. we got to get going, but... Back in the old days, the, 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 the copy protection on it were these code wheels that you would spin around. You would line up these runes on the outer circle from the circle you spun on the inside, and it would show you a six-letter word in there. Now, GOG has taken out the copy protection. When it, when it asks you for a password, you just press enter, and it lets you get right through. But in Pools of Radiance, they actually have an app that... You can also download the PDF, by the way, and cut out the circles if you, you know, cut out the little squares. You can do this manually if you want to. But they got an app where you can just put in the symbols and it will give you the word. And the reason why they do that is because the copy protection wasn't just copy protection, but it was kind of an integral part of the game. You might run across uh, an elf who's dying who has these symbols on his arms and you would look it up and you would find a word or maybe it was written in a letter or something. Uh, and those words would unlock something later on or be some words you would say to somebody. So it's it's really pretty cool. So I definitely encourage everybody to go and check it out. Alrighty, but uh, that's it for Pools of Radiance. We gotta get going. Oh my gosh. Got lots of things to talk about. We gotta wrap this up with the final lap. Welcome back. This is the final lap where we just do a whole bunch of, of kitchen sink stuff. And I want to just kick off by saying, you know, just thank you to the community. This is this is so much fun. You know, we get on here together. We gush about our favorite games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. And as I told Mike when we uh, joined together on episode 11 many, many years ago, uh, you know, this is just something... I do to relax and I do to have fun. We don't particularly try to cater to any particular audience. We've received criticism over the years of, hey, you could you would appeal to more people if you did it this way or that way or whatever. And Mike and I have always been like, you know, we just we just come here to talk about the games that we love and because that's fun for us. And so we just we're not really here to build a big audience or build a big community or anything along those lines. If that comes, that's great. That's icing on the cake. But uh, the other day uh, I guess Sunday, uh, I was doing uh, some Twitch, and and we do this on Sunday nights now, if you're interested. Uh, I'll get on around 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I'll usually be streaming a game on, on Twitch, one of the games that I'm playing usually for the Backtrack Sidetrack. We'll also be on Discord on the voice channel, and just chit-chatting, just me and whoever jumps in there. And just talking about either what I'm playing or maybe one of their favorite games or just RPGs in general. So while we were doing that, somebody came on to the Twitch chat channel, the text chat, 
and just uh, and, and I apologize. I completely forgot to did I screen capture it? I'll see if I can find it so I can mention the person's nickname. But a person came on there and was just like, "Hey, I just jumping on Twitch really quick. Want to let you guys know, uh, you know, that I really enjoy the RPG backtrack." And then he or she disappeared nice. just as quickly. But that was super, super nice. It was like a drive-by shooting, but with compliments. So I thought... So how, does, how is that like a drive-by shooting? <laughs> it's just like you're going, but it's with happy comments instead of bullets. Uh, oh, so, so I think that analogy totally applies. Sure. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sure. Sure. <laughs> uh, so that's very nice. You know, there's different ways to, to if you want to hit up uh, Mike and I, you want to leave us your comments, you can always hit us up at Twitter, uh, at JCServant, at you may send. Uh You can also shoot us off an email. I should probably go and check that now. Because <laughs> I got a JCServant at RPGamer.com. Um, and Mike, do you, ever, do you check your RPGamer email? I haven't in a while. Yeah. Got to remember where I stuck it at, but um, Twitter's usually probably the best way to get a hold of us because I think we're both really good about tweeting. Email works well for me, also. Yeah, and and your well, your main email address is albertodyssey at hotmail dot com, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so, suppose I should change that to something more current, but I've had it for a while, and yeah, people people still do still do hotmail and in Gmail. Gmail is still really popular, I think. Uh, but anywho. Uh, let me uh, just kind of pull my email up. But uh, yeah, you can also leave your comments if you're on our website, rpgamer.com. There's always a thread uh, there where you can you know, leave comments if you'd like to. Uh, there's, there's the forums, but I don't think any of us actually really do a great job of perusing the forums anymore. Discord is another great way. Uh, if you're at rpgamer.com, there's a community there at the top tab. Pick Discord. A lot of people chatting on Discord. It's it's uh, you know a lot of chat going on through the week. Just people talking about RPGs and their favorite games and new RPG releases and things like that. So you can find that uh, you know on Discord, and you can always private message private message me there as well. So I'll I'll pick up on it eventually because it's tied into my phone. But anywho. Uh, with that all being said, uh, let's do a quick round table because it's getting late. Uh, what's up with you, Mr. Apps? Uh, doing the Q&A quest as usual. And um, I've also, for, at least for JRPG July, I've been doing some streams of games. I'm probably going to do a little more of that this month. Probably some action RPGs um, and do some Dungeon Siege 3, a little Titan quest. And probably just more E8 as well. So keep an eye out for that. And that's about it. I'll echo and probably some near automata as well. I can't help but notice a distinct lack of mention of Monster Hunter in what you just said. Oh yeah, duh. Yes. So as always, there's always lots of Monster Hunter going on. And once Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate is coming out, I'll probably just like fire on a stream whenever I'm playing that on the switch. So, uh, but that's not till the end of the month, but yeah, that's, that's coming up. It's going to sneak up on, on us before we know it. Okay. How about uh, you, Mr. Minky? Help if I'm not on mute. Uh, how about you, Mr. Well, Minky? Well, let's see here. I'm going to, I'm going to struggle to come up with an accurate review of rainbow skies that encapsulates why I have, what do I have? 
210 hours logged on the game. Oh, okay. That, but that, that's, that must mean it's doing a pretty damn good job of addicting me. Yeah, that's something that's, that's, that's huge. I mean, and that, you know, like for me, that's all the recommendation I needed to go and, and buy a copy because obviously Mr. Minky is no stranger to tactical RPGs and he obviously knows a good thing when he sees it. There's just something about, there's so much to do in the game and I, actually get addicted in trying to do it i i can't explain why i'm actually trying to catch all the fish that its limit allows me to get an award for and then that award allows me to go to some guy who's act who wants to reward me for each time i reach a certain award max and then he'll give me stuff and then i have to go eat more awards but i i could have finished it by now and if i had just beelined straight through it i probably would have been done a month ago but i just keep poking around seeing what else i can do and it's incredibly addictive and I can, there are definitely flaws. The one that comes to mind right now is the fact that there are something like seven different places you can shop and about seven different categories of inventory that you need to keep track of. But it's pretty good about minimizing the intrusiveness of that while still, you know, having all those separate categories of inventory stuff. And I just really appreciate what the, what the developers did here in making something with so much to do. And even if some of it probably is busy work, it hasn't come across enough as busy work to the point where I've just said, I'm through, I'm done. I keep doing it. So I haven't come across something like this in a very long time. Well done. Well done. Hmm. And that's the only thing I've been playing lately because, well, I can't rack up our accounts like that if I'm playing anything else. Sorry. <laughs> Glad I imported the uh, collector's edition of that from Asia. Yeah, apparently it comes with a very nice booklet that gives you quite a bit of useful information. Since I got a review copy from Mac, I did not get that booklet. Oh. Uh, yeah, having pretty having praised Rainbow Skies, what else can I say? Uh. I haven't seen Mission Impossible Fallout yet because I'm, um, I don't know, I'm, I just haven't. But have you seen Teen Titans go to the movies? I have not. Because I have twice. <laughs> what I saw like last weekend was 8th grade, which does an excellent job of making me remember 8th grade stank. And I don't want to do it again. And if I was a teenager now, I would probably be staring at my phone 10 hours a day and getting angry every time anybody wanted to talk to me and make me look up from my phone the way Kayla in this movie does. But I recommend it if you want an actual fairly realistic depiction of this is what an eighth grader's life is like now, which probably will not make anyone else say, I really want to do eighth grade again, because I, I don't think you'll find many people who actually enjoyed that part of life. <laughs> What do you think, Phil? Was eighth grade awesome for you? Not particularly, no. No. Mike, did you did you love eighth grade and everything about it? No. <laughs> well, this gets that across pretty well. And, yeah, I, I'm sure there are people out there who actually enjoyed middle school, but there aren't very many of them, I'm sure. I, I mean, I enjoyed a lot of middle school, but, yeah, no. Uh... Oh my goodness, I might have to go see The Meg this weekend. I read that book when it was written. So I want to see how faithful it was to the book where two Megalodons were in the Marianas Trench and one of them got up to the surface by eating through the other one and being coated in its entrails so that the temperature difference didn't kill it. 
as it went all the way up to the surface. And then, of course, what's a Megalodon going to do when it gets to the surface but start hunting people? (laughs) And a shark that big? Oh, my goodness, it might be dangerous. So I'm sure it will be nothing but quality making. (laughs) Come on, it's a 70-foot shark. How can it not be quality? That's just a great concept. It's a lot of shark. Sounds like something you'd hunt in Monster Hunter. It kind of does. Has has Monster Hunter done that yet with a giant shark? Phil, no, because that would require underwater hunting. So no. No. Uh, Maybe maybe uh, it'll jump out of the water and you have to strike it while it's in the air for a moment. uh, Underwater hunting is the dark spire of Monster Hunter. (laughs) Oh, Oh my gosh, that... That scarred me for life. So yeah, that's all I've got for now. Unless you want me to go on with more films, but yeah, that that seems to bring people dry pretty fast. Yeah, you know, um, on uh, on my side, aside from what I mentioned before, and of course, if you're listening to the hunt, you're getting my Monster Hunter stuff. Um, I am going to be playing Monster Hunter World again because it's coming out on PC. And I have family who is get, who doesn't have PlayStation 4 who's going to get it on the Play C and is, is pretty much demanding that I play it with them. So I'm going to have to go through Monster Hunter World again. But that's fine because I can play different weapons. And so it'll feel like a fresh experience. The um, And then, like you said, Monster Hunter. we got Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate. I've been working on Monster Hunter Generations on the DS um, to kind of get there. But... Um, yeah, aside from aside from that, I haven't really had uh, with all that going on. I haven't had much opportunity to make much uh, much progress at all in Dragon Quest Eight, which I really also need to hammer out before Dragon Quest Eleven comes out. So that's kind of on the list as well. Just so much going on and working lots of long hours. What about Dragon Quest Seven, Phil? Did you stop? No, it, it beat me. It, it beat me. So it was game over. Does that put it on the same level as Strange Journey? Yeah. <laughs> I love watching the people. By the way, I, this is why I was telling you, you might enjoy our Discord uh, chatter because there was a couple of people, one in particular, really defending how awesome Dragon Quest Seven is and how much better it is than Eight. What? Yeah, yeah. Unironically? No, like for realsies. Well, you could make a case for it. Let's see, because it has time travel there. Dragon Quest Eight does not have time travel. And Chrono Trigger had time travel, and that was super awesome, so it must be super awesome. See, time travel in and of itself is awesome. It doesn't matter how it's used. Mm-mm. Mm. Yep. And um, Dragon Quest Seven. let's see... It... Oh, yeah, yeah! See, it made you fend on your own for all that time before you got to the job system, and then it teased you with the job system and took it away before you finally got it for real. So you had to learn self-reliance in Dragon Quest Seven, where Dragon Quest Eight just allows you to start dumping points into all those abilities that your characters have, and, and they stay with you for the entire game, so there's no risk of going overboard and yeah, that it makes you pay attention. That that's that's a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. There you go. So it all comes together. So I'm I'm sure. Let's see. Uh, what what other ways does it definitely? Oh, of course, the, the visuals. They're so much more charming in Dragon Quest Seven than they were in Eight. 
especially in the original PS1 incarnation. Weren't those just the most charming, effectively rendered sprites you'd ever seen compared to those awful-looking... Oh, yeah, most definitely. Cinema models of eight. Super charming, very purdy. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone likes pixel art, and boy, was that pixel uh, something. The word art in and of itself does not presage any level of quality. So, yeah, pixel art. pixel art. There you go. The graffiti under the bridge and the Mona Lisa. They are both art of a, of a sort. Well, and a checkerboard. Checkerboard's art, right? Some nice symmetrical pattern and stuff. I mean, yeah. Maybe if you cut it in half and put each half on a different side of the room, then it counts as modern art. Yeah, so there you go. So that's, um, yeah, just haven't uh, just been kind of hammering away at those things right now. Um Ooh, played a little Hyrule Warriors on the weekend in between. That was about it. So still love that game. Still love killing lots of stuff in that game. But yeah, just been super, super busy. Uh, but never too busy to do another episode of RPG Backtrack, which is a production of RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Uh, you can now kind of plug in more of our Discord things, since that seems to be where everybody is at more than our forums. Our forums are still there. You're welcome to post there. But uh, we, we don't, don't have any comments from our last episode on the forums, though. Yeah, not, not a whole lot going on right now there. Just a lot of discussion and a discourse so feel free to engage us there or on twitter anywhere uh we do have a twitter handle at rp gamer uh we also are on facebook at facebook.com forward slash rp gamer so you got multiple ways on social media to hit us up plus we have our twitch channel twitch channel forward switch twitch.com forward slash rp gamer uh where we have lots of archives of of gameplay that mr apps and i and and anna and a lot of our staff have done up there for your viewing pleasure uh, so just all kinds of things, all kinds, all kinds of stuff to do. Plus new reviews, uh, up on our site. I believe you reviewed something not too long ago, right? Mr. Mickey. I did strange journey redux. Yeah. Where, where Mike beat strange journey instead of strange journey beating me. So that <laughs> you can read about that. That's totally a thing. Well, I, I learned from what you had gone through, Phil. So your experience was not in vain. Yeah. We have other podcasts as well, including the uh, the RPG cast, which goes over more current stuff. We have Q&A quest, active topical banter, but uh, the second best podcast behind the backtrack, of course, the Hunt Stories from Monster Hunter. So uh, go and check that all out. Or is it time for place? I'm not sure. It is a lot shorter, though. So if you're like, gosh, backtrack is really long, the Hunt is... Those shows are usually under an hour. And we had active topical banter. I don't know where that is these days. I think it's on hiatus. Hmm... Oh, no, it's, well, it says Active Topical Banter Show. It's a banter show now. But yeah, it's been on hiatus since 20, 2018. Well, I'm, I'm confused. I'm confused. Was there a big difference between that and the Q&A quest? Yes. How dare you? I just, I'm not sure. Those two just kind of blend together in my mind for some reason. Anywho, uh, you can go. Uh-huh. <laughs> You can well. go and uh, check those guys out at rpgamer.com. Uh, Mr. Minky, you have something to put us to bed with? I, However much Mr. Apps and I encourage you to play Dragon Force, we do not encourage you to do so through theft of other people's copies. That will just bring more strife and grief into the world and will probably invite counter-theft as people attempt to track down exactly who took their precious copy and do great violence against the person who removed such a valuable and treasured item. So 
use the many means that do not require you to steal a copy, even though it would actually do a pretty good job of serving as an emergency form of currency in the current world. Good night. Thank you.